0: morning church family um before we start with the message um children uh we have the children's bulletin posted on our website you're able to download and print it out so dads and moms if you want to take full advantage of what pastor victor has uh, uh provided you're able to do it right now download it print it out and they could joy is the word right children joy so but uh, i just wanted to uh, take this time in two parts. One part, I want to just t- give us a very practical way of how we're going to handle this coronavirus situation. And then the second part, which will be the sermon, will be more addressing the heart of it. How, what should our hearts be like as we go through this? But, and it's just a, quite a reminder. I was at Arcadia High School this week and, and preaching to the uh, Christian clubs there. And uh, just a, what a reminder how we're not in control Something so tiny as a simple virus cell could just shut down the planet. I mean, governments, the most powerful governments in the world are powerless. You have the brightest and the most intelligent, most learned, are absolutely puzzled on how to handle a situation. You have powerful companies, rich companies, who are just panicking over stocks and and how they're going to keep their businesses going. You know, major gaming and sporting events are put on pause. I mean, like our whole life. As we know it, as a country, it's kind of been on standstill. What a reminder how we're not in control, but our Lord is in control. Our Lord is absolutely in control. And I want to just make sure we, as a church family, understand how to handle this. How do we handle the coronavirus situation? And turn, to, turn with me to Nehemiah. This won't be a sermon. This is six points I'm going to point out. So to our church family, Nehemiah, find Psalm, book of Psalm, and then go over to the left, a few books, and that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a very practical book on leadership. This is a a book that I go to to learn about leadership. Leadership in the face of trials. Nehemiah has been tasked to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of people there, a lot of haters there that want to keep the people from being faithful to the Lord. The Lord has called the Israelites to rebuild the temple. I mean, the walls. To, which surround the temple and around Jerusalem, and but there's a lot of opposition. So how does godly leadership look like? How does your leadership look like to the world? Okay, so let's just look to this situation here out of Nehemiah. We always look to the Bible for answers. The Bible gives us clear instruction on how to live the Christian life. Everything you need to know about being a Christian is contained in the Scriptures. God's holy word. So we'll be at a Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm just going to just read down and then point out these applications. There's six points here I want to uh, point out. So as we're reading it, I'll point them out to you. Write it down, dads and moms and everybody else. Write it down. And th- these, these could be things that you could hold on to beyond the coronavirus situation. So Nehemiah chapter, eight, chapter 4, verse 8. Let's just start there. All of them, these are the haters, these are the enemies of Israel conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. This is the issue that the enemy, the adversaries are are, are planning to disrupt what God has called Israelites to do. Verse 9, first thing that we do is we pray. Nehemiah prayed. He called the people to pray. Verse 9 says, but we pray to our God First thing that we should do is pray. Notice how many times we've already prayed with Pastor Dan, Pastor Terry. Pray. We'll get a chance to pray together uh, corporately in a few moments. Pray. Let me just keep rooting. And, God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. All right, verse 10. Point number two, after we pray, recognize that fear is the enemy. Fear is the enemy. All right, verse 10, look what happened to the Israelites. Thus in Judah it was said, this is what the people were saying, interesting, if you read in the internet and all the blogs, perhaps this is what it will look like today. The strength of the burden bearers is failing. Everyone's getting discouraged. We're getting weaker and tired. Yet there is much rubbish. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of you know, rubble on the ground. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the world. We can't do this. We can't do what God has called us to do. Verse 11, our enemies said, they're listening to the enemies, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Verse 12, then when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Ten times people are saying, this is what's going to happen. They're coming up against us. Fear is the enemy, and we don't want to grow or perpetuate fear. Make sure that you're listening to the right sources. Make sure you get the facts, okay? Let's not get faulty information. Let's, Let's listen to the experts. Let's get the facts. But let's not meditate on these issues. Let's meditate on our Lord. What draws our hearts to the Lord? So make sure we're not adding to the fear because fear is the enemy. What fear does is basically makes coronavirus very huge and our God smaller. No, no, our God is much bigger than the coronavirus. So it's okay to be cautious. It's okay to be concerned. But fear is when our issues of life become bigger than God. Let's not be fearful. Point number three. Let's go to verse 14, just the first part. When I saw their fears, when so Nehemiah saw that the people were scared, fearful, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. What does he say to them? Do not be afraid of them. Do not be fearful, people of evergreen. Why? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Look to Christ. This is the same thing that we started off our, our, our preaching series back in the transition. We look to Christ. Whether it's transition, we look to Christ. Whether we're in, we're in prosperity, we look to Christ. Whether we're going through a coronavirus situation, we look to Christ. Because he is great and awesome. We're going to spend our sermon talking about how we look to Christ. in certain element of our Lord that he providentially has for us this week at a John 16. Let's move ahead. Point number four. So first things, we pray. We recognize that fear is the enemy. Third things, we look to our Lord. Fourthly, write these down. We love one another. 14, uh, verse 14, part B. It says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Take care of one another. That's part of the reason why we're not gathering. We want to be thoughtful to one another. We want to just be, be protective, be mindful of one another. Focus on loving one another. As Pastor Dan talked about, let's not be hoarding and, and, and just taking care of ourselves. Let's look to serve one another. I'm hearing stories from our church family where brothers and sisters are dropping off rolls of toilet paper to one another. That's love. That's awesome. We you see so many other examples where we're stockpiling toilet paper for ourselves. We're actually giving toilet paper to one another. That's love. Love one another. Be outward focused. Fear causes you to be inward focused. Let's focus on the Lord, which allows us to be outward focused. Point number five. Two more points here. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Let let's read verse 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Israel. Nehemiah divided up the forces. Half of you work on the wall, half of you serve as protection. So Nehemiah did not throw a blind eye to the enemy as if they didn't matter. He recognized it, he acknowledged it, he respected the situation, and he set it up. All right, let's be wise. Let's have half of them working, half of us working because we need to continue to be faithful and half of us in protection mode. Verse 17, those who are building the wall, so even those who are building, those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon. That's what, that's, that's what, that's what they did. They compensated. They made some adjustments. That's what we're doing today. We're not being unfaithful. We're not scared. But we want to be wise. We want to be faithful to the Lord. Yet at the same time, mindful of the threat of what's ahead of us. We don't want to be smart. It's okay. God gave us brains. God gave us wisdom. Let's use it. All right. We're not being faithless by doing what we're doing. Just rest assured. If anyone's uh, wrestling with that, mind you, we're being actually stewarding what we have, and we thankful for that. We're being faithful. But we could be sober-minded. Sober-minded also means that we have a proper perspective in life. What ultimately matters, right? Isn't this all a convicting and challenging all What I am about, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter? Is it going to matter if, like, as Pastor Dan talked about or prayed about, if the worst thing were to happen, would what you're doing right now matter? Have proper perspective in that. And, and which leads to you and I prioritizing what's most important. All right, so let's be sober-minded about what's going on here. Let's not lose our minds. Let's just keep our focus on the Lord. Sixth point. First point was pray. Write these down if you didn't write them. Second point, fear is the enemy. Third thing is let's look to our Lord, look to Christ. Fourthly, let's focus in on loving one another. Because we're looking at Christ, we can look at others. We don't have to be inward focused, what fear does. Fifthly, let's be sober-minded. Let's be sober-minded. Let's make our proper adjustments. Let's, Let's exercise wisdom and discernment. But let's just continue to be faithful. We're called to make disciples. Sixthly, sixthly. Let's communicate well. Verse 18. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built. While the trumpeter stood near me. This is a trumpeter stood near Nehemiah. I said to their nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. We are separated on the wall. The Israelites are separated around the perimeter of Jerusalem. We're separated from one another right now. Not because of the work, but because of the coronavirus. Verse twenty. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Look at the way Nehemiah ends that way. We need to communicate with well with one another. They had trumpets back then. We have internet. We have email. We have plug-in. We have cell phones. Let's let's. Compete as, as the coronavirus causes to perhaps be more separated physically. Let's compete to communicate better with one another. In some ways, I believe it's gonna draw us closer. Let's communicate with one another. Check in on a brother. This is the reason why the trumpet system was set up is if there's danger, you blew the trumpet and you rush to the aid of your brother, brother who's in, in in trouble at the wall. Check in with a brother or sister. Hey, how are you doing with this whole situation? Can I get something for? You? In particular. I'm very mindful of our harvesters or seniors of our church who may not be able to get out, who may not be able to get plugged in on the internet and things like that. Let's be mindful of serving and making sure our harvesters are taken care of. If, if you're out there in Atherton watching, know that your pastors care about you. Know that we're praying about you. Let's step up, brothers and sisters, and serve them. Let's communicate. Well, let's help them get plugged in. This is very important that we do this. We have all the technology to do this. Let's make sure we're communicating, and not only just in, in, in technology, but in our hearts. Let's make sure we're checking in on one another, d- demonstrating our love for one another. Okay? So right now, we're going to ch- have a chance to pray. of that that Those are the six points that the scripture talks about, how do you handle trials and adversity. There it is, very clear, very practical applications. But let's pray. Right now, I'm just going to leave a minute or so for us to pray, wherever we're at. Like I said, you could be in Pasadena, you could be in Temple City, you could be in El Monte, you could be in Hacienda Heights, Rowland Heights, somewhere in Orange County. Whoever you're with, if you're alone, pray to the Lord, that's fine. But if you're with a group, let's pray now. As Nehemiah called us to pray over this coronavirus situation. Let's pray. I'm going to open up the time very briefly, and there's going to be about a minute of silence for everyone to pray, and then I'll close it up, okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that your spirit will guide our prayers right now, wherever we're at. Father, I thank you for this time to pray. I, I, we trust that you have heard every single prayer around the globe and, and through the Evergreen SGV Church family, wherever we're at. You see us, you know where we're at. You hear every prayer. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will allow us to look to your son, Jesus Christ. Look to him so we are not fearful, so we don't have to be inward focused. We could look to him and look at others and look to serve others. Help us to be sober-minded over this situation, any situation that comes up in the future. Help us to communicate well. Help us to take care of our seniors of our church in particular, Lord. So Father, we turn our attention to the sermon. I pray, Lord, that you gave us some very practical truths for us to apply to our lives. But, Lord, I pray you minister to our hearts now. When Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Help us to see how great and awesome our Lord Jesus Christ is through the preaching of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this privilege of preaching your word. Thank you that joy is everlasting. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Now we'll be in John uh, 16, and the title of the sermon is Joy. So children, joy. I'm uh, using Pastor Victor's uh, 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 trigger here of pulling my ears to listen up. Joy is the name of the sermon. Alright? You got practical application church family. It's important to instruct and to equip and to make sure we're trained properly. But what's most important is making sure our hearts are full of Christ. Our hearts are loving Christ. Our hearts are, are, are just seeking after Christ. Our hearts see a clearer picture of Christ. And how we do that is simply looking at the scriptures and understand what truth is. Our minds and our hearts are connected. The more truth we know, the more that we know our Lord. So... Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So let's rise. We're at John 16. So wherever we at, you could do it. I know you can, you know. Out there, even out there in Riverside. If you're out there in Riverside, you can stand up here. John 16, 16 to 22. Our Lord speaks. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to One another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father? So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We don't know what he is talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew. He knows everything. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this? That I said, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Verse 20. Truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Verse 22. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And no one, let me say that again, and no one will take your joy away from you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for that you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Have a seat, guys. All right, let's get our notes down. The Lord talks to us about joy. Joy, what is joy, children? Okay, joy in essence means your gladness, delight, you're satisfied. You're at, you're in, you're at comfort no matter what's going on joy this is what christians have joy and our lord is comforting the disciples right now because in in a moment it's going to get pretty hectic here in a moment something scarier than the coronavirus is going to happen people are going to come to to uh, arrest their lord and to hunt them down like fugitives and to do physical harm to them and they're going to see their lord arrested tried and crucified but at the beginning of this talk, you remember, this is a long discourse that our Lord is giving to, our, to the disciples. John 14.1, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. All right, He says, don't worry about all this. Be at peace. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John 14.1. And we're going to see today how we can experience more joy. There's that word again, children, joy. So first point here, point number one, take notes down here. Joy requires understanding. Joy requires understanding. Verses 16 to 19, the disciples they didn't understand. Jesus is basically predicting his death, his resurrection and ascension. Remember uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kenny preached on, it's better that I go away because I'll send you the spirit. Jesus also talks about how he goes back; he's going to go back to the Father. So this, Jesus is telling them ahead of time what's going to happen so that you know, they don't have, they won't be shocked. But the, the, the disciples, they didn't quite understand. They didn't quite understand. And, and I thought to myself, I was studying this sermon, why didn't they understand? I mean, our Lord has talked to them a couple times already about this. This is not the first time that our Lord has said this to them. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's three times I found, at least I studied, three times where Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. So if you want to write these notes down, I'm not gonna be able to go through them exhaustively because of time, but write these notes down here, Mark chapter 8, 9 and 10. They're in there. Mark 8, 9, and 10, if you want to look at it on your own. And there was a, as I studied these occurrences, each time in Matthew, I mean Mark 8, 9 and 10, he, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection death and resurrection, death and resurrection. But the disciples didn't understand why, why. Well, let me just give you the main thread that I saw between all three occurrences. The first time, Peter basically rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not about God's agenda. You're about your own agenda. You're on your own plan. Second time, Jesus predicts his his death and resurrection. The disciples were fighting amongst each other. Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus corrects them lovingly but directly. He goes, the the last shall be first. You want to be great? You be last. Humble yourself like a child. In Mark 10, same thing. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. And they're asking two brothers, James and John, they ask him, who's going to sit at your right hand and left hand? Who's going to have the prominent place with you, Jesus, in the kingdom? And Jesus just said, you know what, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant, you've got to be a slave to others, look at others, serve others. So the common thread between all three occurrences, are they were inward focused, they are thinking about themselves. So if we're thinking about ourselves and our own agenda, we're not going to understand divine truth. We're not going to understand. Joy requires understanding. Common thread was their pride. The, proud, the pride. the pride took over the proud hearts. was blinding their eyes. They were inward thinking. Remember what humility is, right? Do you guys remember that from last week? It's not thinking less of ourselves, but it's about thinking about ourselves less, meaning you're more outward thinking. You're thinking about the needs of others. These, the disciples weren't right there. So we must understand truth to to have joy because who Christ is is the reason why we have joy. Our our joy is absolutely grounded in the truth. We have to understand what the scriptures are saying. Disciples didn't quite get it yet. And humility is required as we engage and interact with the scriptures to understand truth. God's interests, not man's, he says to Peter. How about that? Point number two, joy is promised to all Christians. In other words, if you're a Christian, you have joy. You have it. You've been given it, period. Because of our relationship with Christ, you have been given joy. Verse 20 here truly, truly, whenever Jesus says that, he says that 20 plus times in the Gospel of John. Truly, truly. Listen up. Listen up. This is true. Meaning, this is going to challenge what you think already, but this is true. Listen up, and Jesus is basically setting the expectations. He says, "This truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but the world will rejoice. As a matter of fact, the world's going to enjoy you being sad." All right, so he's setting the st- stage. He's setting the expectations. So. I think to encourage the disciples so when they got hard, they, they weren't like, oh, what happened? I guess he was wrong. He was setting it up so that the disciples could be faithful. You will grieve, the Bible says in verse 20, but your grief will be turned into joy. That grief was this. They're seeing their Lord arrested, tried, seeing the disciples themselves scattered from our, our Lord. They saw Jesus crucified and murdered on the cross. That created incredible jo- uh, pain, incredible insecurity within themselves. Like, whoa, we left everything to follow Jesus. Is this how we're going to end up? That's scary. I could, we could understand that. But the same source that caused so much pain to the disciples is the same source that gives us joy. Joy. Because of the resurrection, Christ resurrected from the grave, defeating sin and death forever. That's the reason why we could have joy. And we have joy. And it's a promise that all Christians have. So right now, brothers and sisters, my heart goes out to those who kind of missing opportunities right now. I know a lot of high schoolers right now are missing athletic things, missing, um, missing uh, competitions, maybe in social things, very important things that you thought you could count on year after year. And who would have thought something like this would happen? My heart goes out to you because I get it. I mean, we may be able to reschedule a vacation. Even in NCAA, they're thinking about giving people eligibility again so they could play another season. There's none of that for the high schoolers. I get it. I get it. I got to participate in all those things. And some high schoolers out there, my heart goes out to you. I get it. Some of these things may not be able to be rescheduled. But there's joy here, brothers and sisters. Even to my younger brothers and sisters, there's joy. Joy is promised. And as you seek the Lord about joy, perhaps maybe I could help shape our prayer life because of what the scripture says. Maybe your prayers, our prayers, isn't so much God, give me more joy? Perhaps the prayer life is, what is stifling me from experiencing the joy that I already have? Right? It's a promise. God's given us joy because of the Son, Jesus Christ. Joy. Joy. We have this. It's it's a done deal because of Christ, because of his death and resurrection. We have Christ. And that's what gives us joy. He's the hope of glory. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is stifling in me? What is blocking me from experiencing more, more joy than I have access to already? Third point here. Point number one was joy requires understanding. Point number two, joy is promise. Point number three: the joy is stronger than the pain. All right, let's look at verse 21. This is a very vivid illustration. Our Lord picks the best illustrations. This is a timeless illustration. Uh, We have four children. Okay, so I've been in that room. I wasn't the mother, but I was there. (laughs) Kind of experienced this. Our Lord talks about it in this way. Verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy Children, that a child has been born into the world. Children, your moms and dads were joyful when you were born, okay? It gave us great joy. Four times I was in the, in, in the delivery room. A couple times doctors allowed me to help deliver a couple of them. And much respect to moms. I mean, much respect. Uh, th- these are things that men cannot relate to. We, we get it all of us have moms okay no matter what and we're grateful for our mothers i remember it's particular our first child we we took all the classes Right, we talked to all uh, uh, mothers and, and, and couples that went before us. Give us some uh, some uh, hints here. Give us some helpful things to think about as we as we uh, get ready to have our de- uh, deliver our first child. And we even took Lamaze class. Remember that, brothers? Breathing, breathing exercises, even positive coaching. Hey, you got this. You could do this, right? You remember that? I remember that. And those are helpful. It wasn't a bad thing. So if you guys are about to have babies soon, those are helpful things. Those are helpful things. However, there's no way to fully prepare for the actual event. And and I remember Sharla being a trooper, and, and our doctor was phenomenal. And thank God for modern medicine and his quick acting. And he had to act. He had to act. It wasn't as smooth as we hoped it would have been. But praise God for our doctors and, and, and nurses. They did a great job. Charla's fine. Our children are fine, but as she sat there, after the, after the birth of her daughter, she was exhausted. I mean, she's exhausted. You guys know what I'm talking about. She was exhausted. Mothers, you know more what I'm talking about. There was physical trauma. There was bleeding. Emotionally spent, just, just wiped out, just there. I mean, those are real things. So the pain is real. That's my point. The pain is absolutely real. Jesus picks out an illustration that shows that the pain is real, That the, the, the pain that the disciples were feeling when they saw our Lord arrested and murdered. The pain was real. All right, He's acknowledging the pain is real. It's hurtful. There's some hard memories. Perhaps there could be some scars. But going back to that delivery room, moms are tired and exhausted, but they're not talking about those things. You know what they're saying? Is it a girl? All right. Let me hold her. I remember these things. And all in wonder take over, where it's just like, wow, what a great thing that happened. A new life. I wonder what she's gonna be like. I wonder what he's gonna be like. I wonder how the Lord's gonna use them. These are the thoughts that go on. This is a joyful thing. Although there's a lot of things that need to take place to get back to healing, the pain is real. In the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Perhaps are you struggling with past sins that you've committed or the others have committed against you? Those are real things. This isn't you become a Christian and you automatically forget about these hurts and pains. These are real. Is there a constant tension? Like it is for me. There's constant tension in my life, following the spirit of my flesh. There's constant tension. There's some painful things that I still do and repent of. And we've got to remember we live in a fallen world where there are sinners who will sin against you. And the church is not perfect either. This is a real thing that we're talking about here. The pain is real. Disease is rampant, as we know, because of the coronavirus. These are real things that could happen and affect our life. But instead of being focused on the pain, instead of being focused on the fears and the things that sinners and disease can produce in our hearts, we should be asking... What am I learning about our Lord? What is God teaching us about himself during this time? That's what we should be asking. Instead of focusing on the fears of the coronavirus, we should be thinking, how is God growing me right now? I want to steal something from John Piper. Maybe he would say this someday, but don't waste the coronavirus. Don't waste the coronavirus situation. This is a unique opportunity for us to grow in Christ and to help others know Christ. Don't waste a coronavirus situation. This is hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime situation for all of us to steward. These are the things that Christians think about because you have joy. You acknowledge that the pain is real. You acknowledge that the hurts are real. You acknowledge you got scars. These are real, but the joy is more Real. In 2020, it's been challenging. I, I know I talked about this from the pulpit before. I mean, some of us have experienced deaths in the family. Some of us are experiencing illness. Some of us are experiencing financial issues. Now we're all going through this together with the coronavirus, which could lead to more financial issues. Right? 2020 has been tough. Instead of saying, God, what, why is this happening to us? It's more like, Lord, how do you wish me to grow? How do you desire for me to prioritize what I'm about? Here's a word of encouragement. Jesus understands our pain. He experienced the greatest pain, the greatest trial, the greatest griefs. He understands what you are going through right now. He understands those hurts. He even understands the fear that takes place over this coronavirus. situation. He understands. Remember in verse 19 of chapter 16 of John, Jesus knew that they wished to question him. Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knew what's on the disciples' hearts. He knows what's on your heart. Just know that we serve a God who cares and who empathizes and sympathizes with us. Just know that he's given us his word to encourage us. Our God is good. Our God is good. The the joy is stronger than the, the pain that we're going through right now. Point number four, final point. The joy is eternal. The joy is eternal. Let's look at verse 22 out of John 16. Therefore, you too have grief now. Talking to the disciples. Sounds like he's talking to us too. But I will see you again, his resurrection, and your heart will rejoice. Look at here. And no one No one will take your joy away from you. No one. No one. This is eternal joy. This is the the Christian joy. Worldly joy is completely based on circumstances. If your joy is all about living for today, it's temporary. If your joy is about being healthy, guess what? Our bodies are going to fail us someday. The coronavirus is out there. There's other diseases out there that we don't even talk about that much. Your joy cannot be based on your physical health or your fitness. If your joy is based on your finances, as you look at the greatest company in the world may come, might, uh, collapse. It may. You don't know that. If your joy is about pleasures of this world, even if your joy is about being with another, one another, we, we, right now we aren't able to do that as much. We cannot be grounded on worldly joy. But Christian joy is grounded on a person. That's what we're talking about. When Nehemiah says to look to the Lord who's awesome and great, he's saying, look to Christ here. We know who our Lord is. He's Christ. He's a person. Second member of the Trinity. The one who upholds all things by the power of his word. Let me explain what that means. Jesus actually with the power of his word controls every single molecule on this pulpit, every molecule in our bodies, every virus that's floating around in the air and whatnot. He controls every single one of those. He is great and awesome, is he not? Christian joy is about a resurrected Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about. A resurrected Christ to prove that he beat sin and death. He's ascended to the Father, and he, sends the, he sent the Holy Spirit, and he's with us. He says, lo, I am with you always to the end of age. Lo, I am with you even through Coronavirus. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Circumstances may change. The most powerful institutions may change. Our culture may change. We may have to do, have a new normal for a while. Those things may change. But Christ Jesus never changes. Does that not give you comfort in this whole situation? Gets me excited. Just to finish up here, brothers and sisters, this has been a phenomenal time. I'm grateful for the brotherhood and sisterhood teaming up to make this happen. I trust that right now as you're sitting at home right now or, at, or in your car right now, wherever you're at, this is encouraging, the Word of God. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from God's Word. This is where we, this is where we look for encouragement because this is what tells us about our Lord. Dark times. These are some dark times, and the Bible predicts these things happening. This is not a surprise to our Lord or anyone who studies the Scriptures. These things are predicted. In some ways, we just don't want to believe it. These things are going to happen, the Bible says. Perhaps the day is drawing near when our Lord is returning. These are dark times. And in the darkness, Christian joy is highlighting even more because the world can understand if you're joyful, if you're healthy, if you're wealthy, if things are going well, you educate it. You got a good wife, good kids, and you live in a nice day. But how can you not be joyful? Even a non I see why you're joyful. But now when all this is happening, people may, are looking now. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for reasons to be joyful. So dark times highlight Christian joy. I was uh, traveling yesterday, and I was in uh, Sequoia National Park, or two days ago, Sequoia National Park. Beautiful. There was this huge rock, that moral rock you could climb up, and absolutely terrifying. My wife and my oldest son, they went to the top. I, I just ah, said, that's, that's enough. Let's go back down. But at night, without any clouds, the, the sky is pitch dark. If we were to stay there that night, it would have been pitch dark, and the stars of the sky would have been absolutely brilliant, like diamonds just shining in the sky. I mean, LA, I get it, it's hard. There's a lot of pollution, there's a lot of light pollution. It's harder. Some of us have never even seen this, so it's worth taking a trip. And quite frankly, when I was up in, Yosin, uh, in uh, Sequoia National Park, I wasn't thinking about the coronavirus that much. For one, there wasn't as many people around me, but secondly, all I saw was God's creation. I was like, whoa! And sometimes we could be so immersed in our day-to-day lives and reading and listening to all the wrong things that we get our eyes off our Lord. You want to highlight to the world who Christ is? Show them your joy. Show them your joy. And if you're lacking joy, ask God, well, Lord, what is stifling my joy? Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. The Lord who created Sequoia National Park, the Lord who created every molecule in the universe. Remember him, the Lord that holds everything whoosh, by the power of his word, because he tells it to do so, is the one we hope in. In essence, this is what we're talking about. Our hope, our true hope in Christ is what leads to us having joy. This is not like a self-generated thing oh, I'm going to be joyful. It's not that. Christ in us is the hope of glory, the Bible says. Christ in you is the hope of glory. If you have the hope of glory in you, you will have joy. For the Spirit, as we have the Spirit of God lives within us, love, joy. Joy. Joy is what our Lord is talking about. And the Bible says right here, no one will take your joy away from you. Not even the coronavirus. No one, nothing. Because of our Lord, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ. Let me just finish off here in Philippians here. Turn to your right from a few books here. Okay, after Ephesians. Philippians chapter 3. Let's start, let's start off with verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm just going to read this, all right? This is very clear what our Lord is saying here in the Scriptures. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live for this world, we live for heaven with Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. What is that saying? At that point, we don't have to worry about coronavirus. At that point, we don't have to worry about Alzheimer's. At that point, we don't have to worry about cancer. At that point, we don't have to worry about anything with our bodies. We're going to have a brand new body transformed into the conformity of his image. We're going to be like Christ, glorified by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself, meaning Christ is in control and power of everything. Everything. Verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, talking to all Christians whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in who He is. Let's jump down to verse 4 here. This is a command. This is not just a suggestion. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's a command. Let your gentle, verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You want all men to know that the Lord is near. Our Lord is personal. Our Lord is near. We are able to know him. This is the message that you want to have for the lost world, that the gospel message is the good news, that you can know God, you can be at peace with him through this, his Lord, the Lord, the resurrected Christ. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. That's what Nehemiah called us to do, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. The hope of glory, Jesus Christ. Let's look to him. What an incredible opportunity that we have to grow in Christ if you're a Christian and to evangelize the lost. This is the time now, brothers and sisters, do not waste the coronavirus. Do not waste the coronavirus. Take full advantage of it for yourself and for those around you who are watching. They're watching. If you wanted a platform, if you want to influence, here it is. This is our opportunity. Let's take full advantage of this because in Christ, we could do all things because the hope of glory lives in you and me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. I thank you for the opportunity to preach Christ. This is what this is about. I thank you for this opportunity. I, th- I pray, Lord, that we, will have a clear, we have a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian. We have joy because of the hope of glory in us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for our church family right now. I pray we are evaluating what's most important to us. I pray we'll be honest with ourselves and perhaps what we're doing and what captures our heart isn't that important. I pray, Lord, that we will reprioritize if we need to and keep you, the hope of glory, as number one in our lives, clearly number one in our lives. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will be honest. If other things are giving us joy, I pray the coronavirus situation will rattle these things so that we would know that our hope is in you, Jesus, and our joy needs to be grounded in you, the hope of glory. So, Father, I pray you bless the people out there. Encourage the people out there where they're at right now as they're sitting on their couches in their dining rooms, watching their televisions. I pray, Lord, you encourage right now. Down to 605, down to 10, down to 60, down to 710, down in the South Bay. Encourage us right now where we're at, Lord, with the hope of glory, your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray... That something incredible happens to this. That although we may feel separated physically, that it somehow unites our hearts in Christ, the hope of glory, even more. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us joy where you say no one could take the joy away from us. Thank you that you have our spiritual well-being secured for all eternity.